invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. And we do have worship Bibles if you need one in front of you. And you can find that on page 736 in the worship Bible. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 5 through 10. Chapter 58, verse 5. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. For if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday.
Well, you are meant to change the world. In Isaiah 58, God is speaking to his people. And uh, he says, day after day, you seek me out. And you're eager to know my ways. Verse 5, he says, you even set aside times to pray and to bow your heads and, and to even fast. And then he describes the kind of fast that he's looking for. Loosing chains of injustice, untying cords of the yoke, to setting the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wander with shelter, clothing the naked, and then the promise of his light pouring into our lives. He's talking about people who step out to help those who are less fortunate, those who are hungry, those who are taken advantage of. You know, we can't change, I can't change the whole world. But we can change someone's world. And if enough of us will change one person's world, we will change the world. What would happen in 2011 if each of us would be used of God to change the life of just one person's world? My goal this morning is to communicate to our body and uh, to anyone who is here and is perhaps wondering what this body is about. Uh, today after the service we're going to be kind of doing a final presentation on where God is leading us as a church to focus. Over the past several months we've had a number of people that have been meeting together to just seek God and, and to, to seek to clarify what he's calling us to. And so we're going to look at that. My prayer today is that God would use this day to help uh, speak to us and to, to begin to unify us around the vision He is calling us to. We have been looking at a, a threefold vision that we've been sharing. And uh, I'd like to share with you this morning and also in our, in our time to come why I, I really believe that God is leading us in that way. Last week we looked at Peter coming to the church in Jerusalem and just sharing some of the things that God had been doing to convince him that this was God's leading in their lives. And so, I'll share a few of those this morning, but primarily, here and now, during this time, I want to go to probably, I think, the most significant cue to whether we are following God's will, and that is, does it line up with the Word of God? Is it scriptural? And so I like I invite you this morning to uh, look at that question with me. Here's the threefold vision that I'm going to just connect biblically this morning. Number one is that we are basically intent on continuing our our mission to reach abroad, to help the poor, to help the hungry, to help the needy, uh, you know, to help people today that live in such staggering poverty that we we can't imagine what that's like. And I think it's very clear from the book of Isaiah that this is God's heart for the world. And if it's God's heart for the world, it has to be our heart. And so that's one thing that we feel God is just calling us to. Secondly, we believe God is calling us to be relevant to this community. And by that, I'm talking about being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And I'll talk quite a bit this morning about that one, because that is the key focus to which I believe God is calling us. 
And then thirdly, that God is calling all of us as His people to get engaged in that process. You know, if you think of the word engaged, what do you think of when you think of getting engaged? I think of a pretty serious commitment. And so I'd like to talk about why that is so important to God and so important to the church. And I just pray that we will, through this, that God will begin to help us see, uh, perhaps put aside all the details and begin to see the big picture uh, of what He is calling us to in, in these next few days together. Let me mention the first, first two of these, uh, Mission Abroad and our engagement. And then I'd, I'd like to end up on the last one. In Acts 1.8, we find that Jesus came to the disciples and they were wondering when he was going to return. And Jesus said, you know what? Don't focus on when I'm going to return. I will return, but that's not for you to know. But this is what you can focus on. You can focus on being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, to every tribe and to every nation. In Isaiah 58, we hear the words from God here about his heart for the oppressed. And so, one of the areas that I, I believe we have done a very good job uh, as a church, and that is reaching out beyond ourselves. We're not a big church. I got a call from the Grand Forks Herald two, three weeks ago. The guy was calling and he said, we're just checking around to see what churches are doing uh, beyond the local community. And so I started telling him what we were doing. And I got done and he said, Wow man, you, you guys have been doing a lot. And I said, you know what? When he said it, I said, wow, he's right. God has enabled us to do a lot of things. Our, uh, as you know, we're just helping, you know, in the next year, our sister church in Ukraine is going to be finishing that, that building, which God is going to use tremendously there. I, I received a letter from Jonathan's parents this last week. As you know, we've helped them a couple of times with significant gifts in Haiti. And, uh, in fact, the last gift we sent, they still have half of that money left, and they're using that now in the, in the new ministry that they're in to refurbish the, the worship center there. We've been able to help. That's the third church now we've been able to help that Jonathan's father has been connected with in Haiti. We've, had, uh, we've been able to send many people and... Sending is a life-changing experience. I talked with Aaron Winowiski this week who just got back from Ethiopia. And they're adopting two children, a girl and a boy. And Aaron had never been overseas before. And so he spent several days in, in uh, Ethiopia. And when he came back and he was talking, I was just listening to him talk. And I said to myself, this guy has changed. He, he has changed. And he was saying, you know what? He said, since I got back from Ethiopia, he said, I've been, I've been really thinking about my definition of success. What does it mean to be successful as a, in a church? And it should cause us to ponder when we see the heart of God if we're not reaching out to those much less fortunate than we are. Uh, we've been able to do many projects, our shoe boxes. We've been able to do now, over these last several years, uh, several projects, like the one we just did at Christmas, 
life-changing projects for people. We've involved in four church plants in the last five years. New Day, Grace Deaf Church, Journey Church in Merrill. We're in the process of helping plant a church in the Philippines. And so, this is not a new vision. But it's a very important part of what God has enabled us to do. And we, by God's grace, want to continue to do that in the days ahead. By the way, I thank our our missions team, our compassion team for M&M team for all the work that they do to make those opportunities available to us. The second area that's part of our vision is this word engagement. And uh, I'd like you to connect this for us this morning to understand why that is such an important word. Uh, Ephesians 4. I'm not going to read all of the... uh, I'm going to read more than what's up on the wall here, but... These are the verses, chapter 4, verse 11. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. And then verse 16. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. And here's how it does it. As each part does its work. Now we are a body, just like you're sitting there in a body today. And if just one part of your body does not work, so if I lose my right hand, okay, now I am definitely limited in what I can do. And if I lose my right foot, now I am definitely limited in what I can do. And when everyone in a body is doing their work, the body is very healthy, it's very efficient. But it doesn't take very many members to not be doing their part for that body to become significantly affected. And so, when we sense God calling us to a greater level of engagement across our body, That is a very, very significant thing. We are called to devote ourselves to the work that God has called each of us to do. And that's very different for each one of us. I think sometimes we're just not willing to be involved. And God has to work on our hearts. And that's one of the things we're going to be praying about. Because you can't force anyone to do anything. It has to be something God is doing in your heart. Secondly, sometimes people just have a desire, but they have not been equipped or they don't have the opportunity. And so we want to take seriously uh, providing those opportunities for our people to devote themselves to the body and to what God is doing. So that's the second one. And a very, very important one for all of us. You know, studies have shown that sometimes we say, well, people need to mature before they can get engaged. And there is some truth to that. There are certain things you should not get engaged in until level maturity. But also find out that when people get engaged, they mature. I was listening to a story a couple years ago. We were at a conference. There was a young man there who was very... um, had just grown incredibly and he was discipling someone. 
He said, you know, when the pastor came to me and asked me if I'd disciple this kid, he said, I was messing around with drugs. I was, I was a Christian, but I wasn't taking it serious. And I was kind of surprised he asked me. But when I said yes, he said, everything changed, because now I realized that I had a responsibility. I had a responsibility to model for this young man what it meant to follow Christ. And he said, I put off all that stuff in my life because now I was in a, a place of responsibility. And so sometimes it's as we get engaged and become responsible that God then begins to grow us up and mature us as we do the work that God has called us to do. Here's number three. And I have... This is, to me, the predominant piece. And, and all these pieces are important. But this is a... This is the predominant piece to me that is, is new. I think we do this to a point, but I think we have just scratched the surface. And that is to being relevant to the community, the hands and feet of Jesus locally, outside of our own body, to people around us. Jesus summed up his ministry this way in Matthew 20. The Son of Man came... Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he summed up our ministry. He says, the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So we are supposed to look like Jesus in our ministry. What does the scripture say about making a difference? I'd like you to listen to these words in Matthew 25. These are from the words of Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is not talking here about what it means to be saved. Jesus is talking about what it looks like to be saved. Matthew 25, verse 31. This is what he said. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on the throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He'll separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Nothing about church attendance. Nothing about prayer. Nothing about the Word of God. Now, are all those things important? Sure. They're critical to our lives, but they're not the bottom line. Jesus says, in the end, when I look at your life, I'm going to see how you responded to the needs of people around you. The sick, the oppressed, the needy. Very insightful words here from Jesus. And then Jesus will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or see you thirsty? Or give you something to drink? When did we invite you? Stranger, invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you, the truth, whatever you did, for one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did for me. I think what Jesus is saying there is, we need to be carrying for one another 
And we need to be caring for the people in our sphere here, in our community in which we live. Very similar words to Isaiah 58. Shortly after this, Jesus is up in the upper room, and what does he do? He takes a towel and a basin. He gets down and he washes their feet. He says, I'm showing you what it means to be a great leader. I'm showing you what it means to be great, because they were arguing about that issue. In James 1.27, Scripture says, true and undefiled religion is this, care for the widows and the orphans. And so what I want us to see here is, is kind of this picture of, of what it means in the end to, you know, the practical uh, living out of our faith and what that looks like. What was the first outreach of the early church? It's to the widows, making sure they were cared for, making sure they had food. You know, if you were to think if, if, if somehow this was Jerusalem and Jesus was here today, if, he was, if he'd been hanging around Wausau this week, where would you have seen him? Just, just imagine, what, what would Jesus' week be like? And that's where we should be. Because we are the body of Christ. The apologetic for the Gospel, the thing that causes people to believe that, that this might be true. Certainly it's the Holy Spirit working in a person's life. But love demonstrated by those who hold out the Gospel is he really the apologetic. And that's what Jesus prayed. He said, you know, they'll know that the Father sent me when they see the love that you have. Jesus went about doing good, signs and wonders, so that, so that they would believe and by believing, have life in His name. People are fed, people are cared for, people are freed up through service. But people aren't saved through service. People are saved through encountering Christ. And so if our service does not lead people to Christ... I mean, whether someone responds to the Gospel or not, we have a responsibility to care for people. But the ultimate good in their lives, you know, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But in the end, he loses his soul. And so, if we don't seek in our service to help people get saved, are we really helping them? I, I've referenced this vision many times, but it's the old Salvation Army picture with the man reaching down, shaking hands with the guy in the water. And the caption says, it's a young grandson talking to his grandpa. He says, Grandpa, is he saving that man or is he just shaking his hand? We don't want to comfort people while they drown. We want to rescue people out of the water. And so, that is the ultimate goal of our service. And many years ago, these two got divorced from one another. You can go back and read the history of the social, you know, social ministry and the gospel becoming separated. Some churches were big on social ministry, but very shallow on the gospel, and others were just all about the gospel. And God calls those to be very significantly melded together. And I believe God is calling us as a church to 
look at that role we have, not just to the other most parts, but specifically right here in this community where we live. Let me just share a couple of examples here with you of the power of simple love and service and acts of kindness to lost people. When we went to Corey's graduation in December, David E. Kelby was a speaker. He's senior vice president of uh, General Mills. Older gentleman, just a down-to-earth, <coughs> humble guy. And he was there sharing his testimony. And he, he shared how when he w they'd been married 10 years, they had three kids, neither of them were believers, and they bought a cabin on the lake. And there was a family there that moved in, and they were, their last name was the Holmquist family. And uh, as soon as they got there, the first thing, they stopped over and introduced themselves. They said, hi, we're the Holmquist family. And uh, in, in the story, David Kelby says that he, they invited him in and said, here, let me fix you a drink. The guy said, I haven't had a drink for 20 years since I gave my life to Christ. Oh. Well, he said, I didn't even know how to make coffee. So they came in and made coffee for themselves at our house. <laughs> so next week, they, we had this well pump, and, and it would get clogged up, and, and it would have to go down into this hole in the ground, and the water would get all wet, and the water is about 30 degrees. And he said, Mr. Holmquist was there. Every time the well was giving me problems, he was down there getting drenched in that water. When the boat needed to be taken out, he was there. When we needed to get the dock in, he was there. He said, they just served us. So one day, my wife said, you know what? I want to go down and visit the Holmquist. So she left to go visit the Holmquist. She said, well, I'll stay here and pick up a little bit. So he was picking up, and there was a little brochure. It was entitled, uh, Steps to Peace with God. You heard of that? Steps to Peace with God. Just a little... Salvation track. He said, this Holmquist guy had been leaving them around. He said, I keep throwing them away and he keeps leaving them in the house. He said, I finally picked it up. And he said, I read through it. And he said, when I got down, this is what I said to myself. This is David Kelby speaking now. He said, I said to myself uh, when I looked at it, he said, it must be true. What else could explain this man's life? This track must be true because I'm seeing this guy's life and I have no other explanation for his life. His wife had gone down to visit with Mrs. Holmquist. She walked in. She said, I don't know what you have, but she said, I want it. So they both got saved on the same night. Simple acts of kindness. The apologetic for the gospel. Simple acts of kindness. Very powerful. I was reading... Uh, the last, uh, one of the recent Moody Bible Institute presidents was talking about the story of a young man there who was riding on the streetcar to Chica uh, down Chicago to school. The conductor didn't get around to collect the money for the tickets until his stop, so he just got off. Well, afterwards he thought, you know, that wasn't right. So he went down to the station, found the conductor, said, you know what, here's the money, he said, I didn't pay. The guy said, you know what? You don't need to do that because it's my responsibility to collect the money. I didn't collect it. You don't need to pay. He said, well, I think it's right. So here it is. 
conductor looked at me and said, I bet you belong to Mooney Bible Institute. <laughs> and I think it was President Stowe who said, that was, that was the greatest compliment we ever got. Simple acts of kindness. Very, very powerful. Let me conclude with one final story. I'm just going to read it. It's, uh, it's well written. It's written by a cab driver. And uh, I'll read this and then we'll pray. <clears throat> I arrived at the address and honked the horn. After waiting a few minutes, I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice and I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened and a small woman in her 90s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it like somebody out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if it had been lived in for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters, and in the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry the bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab, then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I want my mother to be treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address, and then she asked, Could we drive through downtown? That's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued in a soft voice. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. Well, what route would you like to take, I asked. And for the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newly wedged. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that once had been a ballroom where she'd been dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. At the first hit of sun crossing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. And we drove in silence to the address she'd given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were intent watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. And I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. Oh, you have to make a living, she answered. Oh, there are other passengers, I responded. And almost without thinking, I bent over and gave her a hug. She held to me tightly. You gave an old woman an evening of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and then 
walked out into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was a sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought for the rest of the day. I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or was impatient to the end of his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and then driven away? On quick review, I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. Pretty, pretty significant statement. But the great moments often catch us unaware. Beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. People may not remember what you said or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Well, you won't get any big surprise in 10 days if you send this to 10 people. <laughs> but you might make this world a little kinder and more compassionate by sending it on and reminding us that often it is the random acts of kindness that speak the loudest. Father, this morning, you are calling us as a body to change through the power of your spirit and through your love the lives of people in this community that live all around us. Father, it's not that we don't want to do that. It's not that we don't do that and, and haven't done that in different ways. But Father, we just sense that you're calling us to serve this community and attract people to Jesus Christ in a more intentional way, in a more devoted way, uh, in a more prayerful way. And Father, we believe that as, as we are responsive to you, that you are going to do some pretty life-changing things in the lives of people. For Father, it was the love and kindness probably of someone else that changed our lives. And Father, we want to be those people uh, to change the lives of others. So Lord, by your power and by your spirit, we pray that you would uh, just unite us around this vision. Continue ministry to the poor and oppressed and needy abroad, Father, to renew in a fresh and a new way our ministry to this community. And Father, to get involved and to commit ourselves to being a part of this body and serving so that we can carry that out. Father, just enable us by your spirit to do that. That your name might be lifted up. That Jesus Christ might draw all men and women unto himself. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who needs Jesus. I pray that they would just open their life to him even now. Father, we pray that you bless the offering today. Bless these gifts that are given. We thank you for our body. We thank you that you've called us here together. And uh, Lord, just move and work in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.